Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. I think it's so neat that you're able to join us through this medium, and it means so much to me personally to hear that this has been used to encourage so many of you. It has always been the posture of Genesis to tangibly extend the love of Jesus in various ways, both locally and across the world. We support programs that assist families in need, contribute to ongoing works and building projects in Mexico. We've built a latrine and cafeteria for St. Andre's School in Haiti, as well as are advancing a food program there that we hope will help feed the children for years to come. The money collected for all these endeavors could have paid for a facility of our own many times over, but instead, we've intentionally chosen to be a mobile community since we began. We now have before us an opportunity to invest in a building of our own. We're not doing this, however, without considering the works we're committed to or even the works we feel compelled to keep doing in the future. But we're asking, if you've benefited from this podcast or from anything that Genesis has done, would you consider partnering with us by donating to this work directly at www.thegenesisstory.com and click on the Building Fund tab. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Together, let's prepare for an amazing tomorrow. Thanks, and God bless. So we're continuing in 1 Peter. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, open to 1 Peter chapter 2. And let's start, and we're going to read verses 11 to 13. Actually, let's read 9 to 13. Let's use 9, even though we covered that last week as a springboard, and go to 13. So second, or 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passion of the flesh, which wages war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. As we've been looking at this book, we, we've set the stage that the church, the early church is undergoing intense persecution. So when Peter is writing to the people who are a part of the church, he's writing to people who are going through hardship because of their faith, which is going to be real important, especially next week when we go into that, where he talks about submission and respect of the government. But I didn't want to tackle that with this this week. I wanted to kind of break it up, even though they can all go together. But remember, that's who he's addressing, people who are hurting, people who are struggling, people who are financially struggling, people who have been displaced, who have had to move because of persecution, maybe leave their homes, no longer have the same employee that they had 
uh, employer that they've had for years because of the tension that is there with this new uh, uprising of belief in Jesus. And, and so it's causing a stir, and that stir is causing discomfort in so many of these people. And what Peter has been trying to do, the first part of this, is to connect people to their life's meaning, to, to give them uh, identity information, to help them understand that there is a new formation of their identity and it's connected to Jesus. In chapter one, verses three and five, he said, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In other words, this belongs to you. This is who you are. He said that again in chapter two, verse five, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Peter wants them and he wants us to understand our identity, who we belong to. Because unless you understand who you really are, you're going to have a hard time going through the things that you're going through. It won't make sense. And so he's connecting them to something, and we need to recognize we're connected to this as well, that our identity is in this new humanity that Jesus has started, that we are this royal priesthood, this race of people that belong to God. And the idea of a priest, remember, is someone who goes before God, but also who stands before people. And what is wonderful about this is that we are all called to this. It's not just the pastors. They have a role, they have a position, but Everyone who belongs to Christ has been called to this identity. And you see, this is what swept the world back then, as people recognized who they were, and it helped them to go through what they went through because it was something that they owned And it was something that they took and believed in. What would happen if all of us believed that this is true, that we are supposed to be priests before the people around us, to God, to the people, that this is our identity, that we are this holy nation, that we are this royal priesthood? What would happen if we started acting like that? If it started shaping the things that we do, which is the point that he is making here in these verses, As he starts to go into this, he says in verse 11, which is the verses 11 and 12 that we're really going to cover, he says, beloved, I love it because he starts with something, you're dearly loved, you are loved by God, I 
urge you. Again, you get the idea. This is important as sojourners and exiles. What a way to start out, right? I urge you as sojourners, wanderers, and people who've been exiled. Think about what that means to them. They have been in exile, their nation. They know exile. They know sojourning. They know the wilderness story. They know what it's like to be kicked out and not have a home. And Peter is telling them, hey, I'm talking to you because you belong to something more than what is here. And so just like your ancestors wandered through the wilderness, had no homeland, was looking for that land of promise, that's where we are. As sojourners and exiles, this is a new story that you're living in. It's a new view because now it is the kingdom of God that you belong to. And so, yeah, this world does not fit the bill. Your story is connected to more than what is happening around you. Do you see that? Because that's why we do the things that we do, why we live the way we live is because our story belongs to a much bigger story. We are a part of something much deeper, much wider, much broader than what we just see. We are part of the new humanity that God is doing. And so as sojourners and exiles, what are we supposed to do? To abstain from the passion of the flesh, which wages war against your soul. Now, Peter is doing so much more than just telling us some morality. He's not just trying to tell us don't do bad things. He's connecting us to our heritage. And he's saying, live in accordance to who you are. And a part of who you are is going to abstain from these things, from the passions of the flesh that wage war against your soul. Now, it's important to understand, he's not just telling us, you know, abstain from the passions of the flesh, because that... It's a lot of things, right? I am passionate for food. Anyone else with me? We had some amazing Brussels sprouts the other night. We went out to Corrine's parents. I used to hate Brussels sprouts, and now I'm like loving Brussels sprouts with bacon and some feta cheese. It was, it was, to, it was good. It, it stirred a passion for food. <laughs> You see, he's not talking about just any old passion. We, we have passions. Passions aren't bad. Passions that aren't in line with who we are, those are the ones that wage war against our soul. And you see, Peter is talking to a gecko Roman mindset that had basically the idea of there's the soul and there's the body and they're separate. And the body can do whatever the body wants and it doesn't affect the soul. And so the idea and purpose of life was to indulge yourself with what you can get. Success, power, wealth. Indulge yourself in food and sex and whatever you could achieve. Whatever you could do, that's fine because it didn't affect your soul. It was separate. And... Peter is saying that actually wages war against 
your soul. And I think we are aware of this. I, I think we, we see that we can't separate the things we do from the people we are, that they, they go hand in hand, that they're very much married to one another. And if we don't recognize that, oftentimes that's where you start to have the problems. You know, if you think you can do anything you want and it not affect you and your health as a being, you're misguided. And if you think it has no effect on the people around you, just ask a child of an alcoholic parent if they've been affected by their parents' alcoholism. And you'll find out, yeah, no, it it affects me. It affected us. It it all has an effect on us. And, And when we went through our series on the spirit, We talked about this. We talked about how they are all connected and everything really is spiritual. In Romans chapter 8, it tells us that all of creation is in groaning because of the condition of the world, that everything is affected by everything else. It's something that is a part of our ecological system. I mean, if you go to Beijing and there's so much smog, people have to wear masks because of all the things that are going on there. We have, you know, earthquakes in Italy. We have flooding in Louisiana. And these things, according to scripture, are the travails of the world because of a broken and fallen creation. It's basically saying something's wrong. And everything is affected by it. And you and your life, it's the same way. To think that I can live my life and do certain things and it not affect every other part of my life is really foolish. It's ignorant. It's blind. It's not recognizing that I'm actually warring against my own soul when I give in to certain things. And so if I indulge myself and live for just eating or live for just having a sexual free life or indulging in those things, then it's going to start chipping away at who I am and it's going to start waging war inside of who I am and it's going to affect everything. And so if you don't recognize that you are made for this and you are a part of this and you start doing things that are connected to that, then you're going to lose sight of your purpose. You're going to lose the power because you're giving of yourself to something less than, and it's warring against the soul of who you really are. And so this isn't about just being moral. This is about being whole. It's about being who you are. It's about regaining what Christ has sought to form within us. It is connecting our life to this new meaning. It's seeing ourselves in this story. You see, it's not that you need to stop having fun, because that's a passion of the flesh. Don't stop eating. Brussels sprouts are good for you. 
They're better for you when they have bacon and feta cheese because they make you smile. You shouldn't think of uh, passion in a sexual sense as wrong. It's wrong when it's out of its order and the plan that God has, but it's not wrong. And if we don't recognize that these things in themselves aren't bad, it's when we take these things and allow them to shape us instead of being shaped by our identity, that's when we war against our soul. And so anything can become a problem. And I think it was C.S. Lewis that said that most of our vices are actually virtues that have gone wrong. Right? There's nothing wrong with eating. There's nothing wrong with sex. But when it goes wrong, it becomes, instead of a virtue, a vice. And that's really what Peter is getting at here. He's trying to connect us to the story that we now belong to, which is God's story. And so it's to keep these things, to keep our lives in a place that brings honor to everything that we do so that people will see us. And the whole point of this was so that these others would be able to look at us and see the difference. And so that's what he says in verse 12. He says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Who's the Gentiles? It's the world. It's everyone else who isn't a part of Israel. Keep your conduct among them as honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So if they see what you're doing, it will combat what they're saying. When they say you're evildoers, now, at that time, there was a lot of hostility against this new faith. There always is against something that's new that we don't understand. If there's something that we don't understand, we don't like it. Whether it's technology, whether it's ethnicity, you know, you change something in the culture and we have an uproar. Why? Because that's out of my comfort zone. You brought in this and I don't like it. And so this comes to a place where now these people were seeing these followers of Jesus and they were doing things so different. You would go to their place of worship and there was not the ornate gold or anything like the Romans had. There wasn't anything. And they would talk about having communion. And so they called them cannibals because they believed they were eating the bodies of people. Okay, they, were, they, they, they thought they were living loose lives because they had caring for one another. And so they thought they were all sleeping around together. There was a lot of rumors that were going around because it was new, it wasn't understood, and it was different. And so when he talks about them speaking evil, those are the kinds of things that were being said. And so because people are thinking you're so loose and because people think you're so abusive and you're cannibalistic, then let your conduct prove different. Now, what are people saying about us today? We're narrow-minded. We're judgmental. 
I mean, you can fill in the list what people say about people who believe in Jesus. What's that? Anyone else? Intolerant, hypocritical, bigots. People are saying this about those who follow Jesus. So let your conduct, the things you do, prove them wrong. Because when you do something, you can't argue against it. You see, if you're helping orphans and you're caring for those who are in need and those who are, you know, struggling and people see that, what are they going to say? Those stupid people helping orphans, right? You know, I mean, all of a sudden it's like, well, that kind of shuts you up. You know, there, there's some need for, you know, help in Louisiana. And so people who follow Christ go down there and start lending aid. What can you say about that? You can't say anything bad because that's what the good deeds do is they silence those things. And notice that the doing good is connected to a future the day of his visitation. It's connected to the kingdom of God. It's connected to who we belong to and what we are living for. It's connected to more than just the deed itself. It's connected to God. And all of this is connected to God. We are trying to live in such a way that God says, good, you're doing good. And the reason Peter is telling them this is because they were struggling just like we struggle. They have difficult times just like we have difficult times. They lose sight or lost sight of who they were just like we do. But the reason they were able to change the world was because they held on to the fact that this is my story. This is who I am. And this is what I belong to. And that's what keeps me not because I'm going to get some kind of judgment, not because if I don't do this, I'm going to go to hell. It's because I am made for this and I don't want to war against my own soul. And that's the attitude that I think we need to have. The worldview then and now is not concerned about the kingdom of God. It's concerned primarily with self-satisfaction, living for yourself. The kingdom of God is all about giving to others, serving, empowering others. And here, it's important to recognize that how we live in the present is empowered by what we believe about our future. So how we live now can be empowered by what we believe in the future. And so if you believe that you are a part of the kingdom of God, that you are a child of God, that God has purpose and intention and plans for your life to affect the world, to in fact be the light of the world that Jesus said, if you believe that about yourself, that will empower you to live today how you should because of what you are tomorrow. 
And so this is all about recognizing what God has called us to, what he's calling us to, what he's desiring for us. If you believe that you can win a car when you go to the convention center by filling out one of those things, you will fill out one of those things. My kids fill out every one of those things. You know, we'll go to a convention center and there'll be a car here and where, oh, there they are. They're filling out that thing, you know, and then they're going to get 20 phone calls from who knows to go on vacation to whatever, you know, all these things, but they believe they can win. So every place they go, they fill out one of those things because if I can do this, I might win a car. You see, they believe they can win the car. If they do this, that's why they do that. Well, do you believe that God has something for you? And if you live your life and do good, that God is going to actually be seen in you and bring you to that place where you win the car. Okay. Because there is something, bless you. There is something for you. It's not just hang on, buddy, give up all the Brussels sprouts and the good stuff. There's no fun in your life. No, there is a lot of good. And don't war against your own soul. See, if you believe that you, the kingdom of heaven is a reality, then it'll show in how we live. You'll fully enter into that story. And that's how the early church lived. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 11, verse 13 says, these all, as he talked about all these people of faith, all died in faith, not having received the things promised, right? They were looking forward. Even as Peter has been talking about these things, angels have strained to look into. We're, we're a part of something so grand, so big, so eternal. But having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, what Peter just said. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. See, they desire a better country. Do you desire a better life? Do you want to be a part of something more? And I think it is in our souls that say yes. I want to be a part of something amazing. I have this idea of what I could be. And I want to live in a way that makes that a reality. See, that's, that's, the, that's the pull. That's what Peter's saying. He goes, we're, we're living for this. We're doing to this. And the struggles that they were going through, the, the pain that they were enduring was only an emphasis that there was more to be had. I, I think we've all experienced that as well. Have you ever gotten what you wanted and then were disappointed? You know, you go to Mr. Donut and it's two in the morning and you get the strawberry glaze because it's fresh and it's hot and you eat it. And then you think, oh, I really shouldn't have done that. 
no, 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 I'm just me confessing here. You know, you, as good as Donut Man is, it's my life wants more. As good as those Brussels sprouts were, my life wants more. As good as my relationship with my wife is, my life wants more. And none of those things are bad, but my life wants more. And recognizing the struggles that we're going through is actually pointing us to more. You know, we're so conditioned to getting what we want when we want. And the life of faith is a life that is connected to more. It's a life that believes there is more for me and I want to live for more, not less. It's not asking to take something away. It's asking to give us something better. And again, pain points us to this reality. As C.S. Lewis says, it's God's megaphone to a deaf world. And so many times when I go through times of depression and, and I'm bummed out and I'm feeling really down, those are the times where I have to recalibrate what am I living for? What is my purpose? What am I doing? And so whenever you start to feel that ouch of life, this, this pain of like, oh man, this isn't right. I don't like that. Don't ignore it. It's there pulling you to more. The, the answer is in that problem. The, the pain is trying to help you see more. And the early church understood that. They recognized that and they were living for a bigger story. See, people who are living for a bigger story abstain from the things that war against their soul because they know that their life needs more because they know that it's more than just consuming. It's not about what I can get. It's about who I am and what I belong to. And it's about this work that God is doing. And that's where he talks about doing good. And he talks about this do good throughout this book. Chapter two, verse 15, he says, by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Chapter three, verse 17, he says, for it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. If God wants you to suffer, it's better to do it for doing good than doing something evil. Chapter 4, verse 19, he says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. When we do good, when we help people, when we live with this awareness of who we are and where we're going to, what we're doing, it's... It's putting on display the goodness of God's story. It's cracking the window open so that the world can see the more. And so whenever we do good, we open that window so that people can look and see the story that we belong to, the life that we're living for. And now it gives them an understanding and also a pull because whether they admit it or not, they, they want more too. Their soul wants more. They're craving more. And so we're meant to live this life 
More is God's mercy. More is God's grace. More is God's generosity. More is God's compassion. More is all those things that make the character of God. That's the more. Those are the deeds that we're working for. When we help those in need, people are silenced. And the window to see God is opened because of what we do. See, we can debate a lot of things, but there's no debating good when it's done. It's just good. And that's the destiny that God is pulling us for. That's what Peter wants us to recognize that we belong to. It's the story that is ours. It is our identity as children of Christ. It is our inheritance. I know that I never thought of myself in this idea of a priest. Okay, I was not religious. I didn't grow up in church and priest was far, far from my ideology. And it's still weird when Ben introduces me as reverend, you know, it's like, what? It's not my realm of comfort but it is my calling in Christ. It is my identity. Not that role that I have in my mind, but the place that God has for each one of us. You are of value and purpose. You belong to more. You are a royal priesthood, a holy race. You are the ones who are telling the new story. You are the ones who are living the new story. You are the light of the world. You are a city that cannot be hid. And live your life so that your good deeds will point to the future you're living for. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I'm always challenged by you and it gets a little uncomfortable because I see the areas where maybe I'm being lazy and it's provoking me to, to get off my butt and to, to do good and to accept the things that you say about me and the future that I belong to. And Lord, my eyes are, are very short-sighted and my passions many times are very limited and very self-serving. And, and sometimes I eat for comfort because that's where I go to instead of you to deal with things. And, and so many areas in my life that I can look at and say, you know what, this is not quite in line with how it should be. And just acknowledging that, Father, it kind of takes its power and it helps me to see that you have designed me and us for more. And so I pray anyone else who's feeling uncomfortable right now, because maybe they've been pushed as well. Lord, there are no expectations from me or from us 
But there is a life waiting offered by you. And may that be our motivation to take the steps needed to the make the decisions needed, maybe to, to step out of our comfort zone, to do more, to, to help in an area, to give of ourselves in some way to some people and somehow, whatever it is, Lord, may we not allow the comfort of mediocrity to keep us from living a full life. And so I pray, Lord, that there would be discomfort And it would push us out of that zone. I pray that there would be hope that pulls us out of those areas of comfort or compromise or uh, just being stagnant. And I thank you for just being so good, being so merciful and wanting so much more for me than I even want for myself. And we do thank you in Jesus' name. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.